morning, everyone. How are you guys doing today? Get in here and sit down somewhere. Quit running around, talking up. No, I'm glad you guys enjoy each other. I'm glad you guys have a good time while you're here. Everybody should have a home church, and church should feel like home, right? Right? You come in here, it should feel, should feel like home. That's why we talk about growth track. Right now, growth track, growth track is doing that. <laughs> I did that one out. Oh, right now, growth track is going on in the, in the living room. And uh, what that is, that is a place... It is a first step to getting involved. Maybe you want to get to know other people. Maybe you want to get to know more about Faith Co. Church. Maybe you, don't know, you want to know what we believe. That's, that's a great place to get started. And we strongly encourage you to go through Growth Track. Why? Because uh, we, we're, trying to, we're trying to get people connected to Faith Co. Church because we want them to feel at home. And that, that comes through relationship. That comes through connecting with other people. So if, you're a part, if you haven't been a part of Growth Track, make sure you're a part of Growth Track kicks off at the first Sunday of every month. Also, next week is Father's Day. Can you believe that? Man, June 17th, I believe. June is already halfway through. Father's Day is coming. We always have the best Father's Day here at Faith Co. Church. We're going to have some good food out there for the guys and the girls, of course. But uh, it's it's in honor of the guys. And also, we're going to be giving away some really cool stuff next Sunday. So come, bring your father. Get ready to have a really good time next week as we celebrate and honor our fathers. Well, we're continuing. Actually, we are concluding with honor. And have you enjoyed this series of messages? Uh, it's, it's been... Okay. I didn't know if you were all in on that. If you, if you, if you Just a few in, I wasn't going to clap. But if everybody's in, I mean... But uh, we've, we've talked so much about honor. We've spent six weeks... On honor, and it's it's something that I believe has the potential to be a little bit confrontational. Why? Because honor is a very selfless thing to do, and what we do is when we show honor, we are confronting some things in our lives. We've talked about the importance of of the different things that God says to honor. We've talked about displaced honor. We've defined honor. We talked about honoring authority, honoring parents, honoring the church. Last week we talked about honoring God through worship. Well, I want you to go in your Bibles to Proverbs, the third chapter and the ninth verse. Proverbs 3 and 9 says this. Honor the Lord. Everybody say, honor the Lord. But this is a specific way that we are to the honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Today I want to talk to you about the most powerful behavior, about the very significant life practice that will lead you into a place of blessed prosperity and an enriched life. I want to talk to you today about honoring the Lord with your giving. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be here today. And I know, Lord, as we talk about honor, specifically this area in our lives, it confronts our giving. It confronts how we live. Thank you, Lord, so much that you confront us in areas of our lives that need to be changed. Lord, you want us to change so you'll confront us even when it's a little bit uncomfortable. So, Lord, I pray that we will have an open heart and an open mind to receive what you want to say to us today. And may we walk in your way in an abundant, blessed life. 
in Christ's name. And everybody said, look at your neighbor and say, now this is important stuff. Now let me go back to that verse of scripture, Proverbs, the third chapter in the ninth verse. And I'm going to break it down. Modernize it just a little bit. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your produce. And then it talks about barns and vats. I don't know how relevant. Maybe that's not too relevant today. Is everybody, anybody here praying that God will bless and fill up your barn? I don't know. Maybe not. Possibly, yeah. Is anybody here asking God and believing for God to fill up your vat filled and fill it with an overflowing abundance of wine. Anybody have a wine vat? It holds about a thousand gallons of wine and it's a wine press and it fills up. Anybody? No, we really don't have wine vats. You better not have a wine vat. It's trouble. I I mean, that really doesn't relate today. Actually, these places, barns and vats, were places to store surplus. It's where you saved What was left over after you resourced your life, you could save for the next day or for the next year. If this scripture was written today, it might say something like this. Bless the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of what you produce that your savings account will be filled and your investment or your portfolio or whatever your job is, that, that will be overflowing. Now that makes a little bit more sense, doesn't it? Yes, the answer to that question is yes. That's, that's, that, that makes a little bit, now that relates a little bit to me. But that is what this scripture, if it were written today, it would talk more about where we save and where we invest. And then it goes on to talk about first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. Now that's an Old Testament phrase that means the first and the best. The Israelites were to give the first and the best. Not the most, just the first and the best. There is an implication of priorities, that we're not going to give God our least and our last, but we're going to give God, they were going to give their, God their first and their best. It was kind of like this, I will honor the Lord with my giving, I will give him my first and the best of my income, what I produce. In the Old Testament, honoring God with our income was introduced through something called the tithe. Everybody say tithe. Do you know what tithe means? Tithe means, the Hebrew word simply means this, a tenth, or we would say it like this, 10%. In the Old Testament, it was a law that you gave 10% or a tenth, every tenth sheep, every tenth goat. And it wasn't the, you know, the broken, back, broken down, you know, feeble ones, it was the very best, every tenth cow. 10% of your income, every tenth of what you produced in the field went towards what was the church or the temple in those days, and it was law. Now, you might think to yourself, 10% or 10 of everything and then 10% of, of my income, man, that feels like a heavy tax. But what you have to understand is that there was a blessing that was associated with that, that God made a covenant with them that says, I'm going to bless you so much that this is not going to feel like a burden. You're going to enjoy giving to me. So if you will honor me with giving your first and your best, then I'm going to bless you so much that there was a law that they said that they had to rest every seventh year. It was law that you had to take a break after six years. You didn't work your seventh year. God would bless you so much in the sixth year that you took that seventh year and that you did not work the ground. How many of you would like to take a year off after six years? Just take the year off. 
So see, that's what, that's what it was like in the Old Testament. We think, oh man, that's a lot to give. But there was so much that God would bless them. And plus, there would, God would bless them with no famine and no pestilence. If he, he said, if you'll make this covenant with me, I'm going to bless you so much that it's not going to feel like a burden to tithe. And then you forward into the New Testament. We live under the New Testament. We don't live under Old Testament Hebraic law. But we still have this new covenant that we make with the Lord Jesus. Spoke about tithing. I hear people say, well, tithing is not mentioned in the New Testament. Jesus actually spoke about tithing when he spoke to the Pharisees. And he told them, he complimented them for tithing, but he scolded them for neglecting matters of the heart. Another place where Jesus spoke about tithing was somebody walked up to Jesus and said, do you guys pay taxes? And Jesus said, hand me that coin. So they handed him a coin. He said, whose face do you see imprinted on that coin? And they say, Caesar. And Jesus said, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And then give to God what is God's. Well, what is God's? Well, it's clearly lined out in, in the scripture that the tithe is what is God's. The New Testament also gives us an example of what it is to give in Scripture. Tithing and income, tithing became more of a minimum standard. Tithing was Old Testament law, but in the New Testament, it was kind of like that was the starting place. And I believe that that is what it is today, that it is the starting place when you really understand what it is to be generous and to tithe. That is the starting place that in the New Testament they were given above and beyond the tithing. That is a goal for my personal life. Here's a couple of things to remember about tithing. And then I'm going to give you some of the maximum ways, a way to maximize our giving. First of all, when it comes to giving, when it comes to the tithe, number one is we have the ability and the privilege to honor the Lord with our money. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. We have the ability and we have the privilege to give honor to God with our finances. You know that it's not supposed to feel like a burden. Let me ask you something. Does tithing feel like a burden? Of course it may feel like that sometimes, but it's not supposed to. It was never meant to be a burden because giving and tithing, it's not about what you don't have. We should never feel pressure to give. But a lot of times what happens is it's not factored into our lives. So what, we, what happens is, is we take out other areas of our life and we don't prioritize it. It's not factored in. I want to tell you something. Just to use myself as an example, tithing has always been a part of my life. I grew up Pentecost. I grew up in a church. It was like law in my home. You gave. And my, I, I remember my mom used to talk to me about it. And she'd say, son, you need to remember that you better tithe because God will curse you with a curse. She'd quote Malachi 3 to me. You know what? What she didn't fail to mention is we don't live in Old Testament. But, you know, in my house, you were cursed with a curse. God will curse your finances, son. Oh, I better tithe. I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I don't want my finances cursed. When I was 11 years old, I had my first job. My dad roofed houses. I couldn't carry a whole bundle of shingles up, so I would break open that bundle. I could only carry 10. It was, 10 was the maximum to carry up, up, up on that ladder. My dad paid me a dollar an hour when I was 11. That felt like so much money. But I remember at the end of the week, man, I had so much money. I had $50, $50. I remember counting out $5 and putting that in the offering. I remember when I was about nine years old that, that I would sit on the front row to the inside, like right there every single Sunday, except they were long, extremely long wooden pews. And I'd sit right there, and I, don't, I, I got this thing. I don't know if it's called an issue or something, but I'm always... Rocking, I can't sit still. It's very hard for me to sit still. This 
is a pattern in my kids. They have a double portion. They have a double anointing of not being able to sit still. But I would sit on the very front row. There was no such thing as children's church. You sat there and you were quiet or you got pinched. Okay. Anyway, so I'd sit on the very front row all by myself. And I would sit there and listen to my grandpa preach back when they preached like an hour and 15 minutes. And I'd just be given this the whole time. Let me know when this becomes annoying. <laughs> because it was a solid hour and 15 minutes. And I'd hit my back on the pew. I'm really into this preaching. I don't know why I did that, but I did it. And my aunt used to sit right behind me in the second row, and she finally made this deal with me. She negotiated this deal and said, I will pay you a dollar a church service if you'll just sit still, which is a big deal because we had Sunday morning and Sunday night, prayer meetings and all. So she'd say, I'll pay you a dollar a service if you just sit still. So I'd sit there, and I was like, with all I could. And, you know, then I'd forget, and I'd start rocking, and she'd tap me on the shoulder and said, you just lost a dime. Sometimes I made 60 cents sometimes I'd walk away and I wouldn't make anything but I remember counting out dimes and putting them in the offering because man I, 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 that was just something it was embedded in me it was just implanted in my heart that, I, that, that I'm going to tithe and then when I got to be 13 years old I started laying carpet and I laid carpet for about 4 or 5 years and in case you need carpet laid I forgot how to do that I don't know how to lay carpet anymore don't ask but I laid carpet and I remember I remember thinking to myself that I'm making more money than all of my friends. Everybody else is making minimum wage. I've never in my life worked for minimum wage. Nothing wrong with it, but God has always blessed me above and beyond minimum wage. Even when I worked for a job that made minimum wage, it brought me in the office and said, we really like you, Travis. We're going to pay you more than we're paying the rest of the people. We're not paying you minimum wage, which made all the other people mad, but I wasn't arguing with it. And then I worked for UPS. I worked part-time, and God blessed me there. And God blessed me in every area of my life. And, and I have in, in my life, I, first of all, have never needed anything that I could get. I'm not going to tell you that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not wealthy, rich financially. I'm not, but I have never needed anything that I couldn't get. And anything that I want, I can pretty much get at some point, at least go borrow for, right? It's, I've always been that way. But listen to me, in my entire life, I can never remember missing a tithe. Why is that? Because... It's not a burden, and it never has been a burden. And if it feels like a burden, it's not factored into your life. What happens is people say, well, if I can, if, 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 you know, if I can afford the car, then I'll tithe. People who tithe think backwardsly. They, they, they think, if I can tithe, then I'll get the car. My tithe comes first. If, if it affects my tithe, I won't get the car. Are you hearing me? I could, I, could bring, I, could, I could get a show of hands. I'm not going to do it, but I can give you a show of hands right now. The people that tithe, they're committed to this. Live this way. People really live this way. What kind of house do I want? What kind of a house payment do I want? Well, I, well I'll get the house payment. I'll get a little bit less of a house since it doesn't affect my tithe. Is that crazy? Because I know people that live this way. I know a lot of people that live this way. What that is, is God is at the center of your life, and I'm not going to take what is his and not honor him with what he has already asked for, right? Now, I know that this is confrontational. I know that this affects a lot of people because if you want to speak statistically to churches, about 70% of churches don't tithe, or or 70% of people in churches don't tithe. So I'm not trying to step on anybody's feet, and I'm not trying to be confrontational, but I think that this is vital 
to your life. This is not about the church needing more money. Listen to me. There's a really good chance that how much each person gives, it's not going to affect the entire whole church on the entire year's budget. That's not what this is about. This is about us understanding that honoring God is about honoring him with the tithe. And I'm not going to not say it because it's a little bit confrontational. Now, when I grew up in a Pentecostal church, we got a message like this about every month. <laughs> it was law. And they'd stand up and, and quote Malachi, the third chapter, and say, will a person rob God? How can you rob God? You're robbing me of my tithes and offering. The tithe isn't even ours, the Bible says. It's God's. You can choose to give it or you cannot give it. But if you don't give it, you're robbing God. That's what the Bible says. Travis didn't write that. And it's confrontational. But the flip side of that is, God says, test me in this. Which leads me to the second thing I want to say. There is this unique blessing that is tied to tithing. And if I don't mention this, I believe that I'm robbing you of this knowledge. There is a unique blessing that is tied to tithing. God says, listen to me, I want you to try me. Malachi says this. I don't have time to, to, this is a whole series. But Malachi The third chapter, God says, try me, test me, see if I won't open up the windows of heaven. This is the only passage, this is the only means by which God says, okay, try me. In all the other areas of scripture, you're not supposed to try God. This one area, in the area of finances, God says, if you will try me, just try and see what will happen. If you will begin to honor me with the tide, see if I will not open up the windows of heaven. And open up a blessing on you and pour out a blessing that you won't even be able to contain. So we understand. People who tithe understand that there is a blessing that is associated to giving that affects no other area of our lives. Number three, according to the scripture, we have the means to open up the windows of heaven. It's not just that... It's not that there is a blessing tied to it. We can access it with our actions. You have the ability to open up blessings from heaven based on your resources. Uh, That is very significant. Now listen to this question carefully. If I were to offer you a challenge and say, okay, guys, how many of you are willing for the next six months to tithe $10,000 a month for the next six months? July through December. How many of you guys are willing to tithe for the next six months $10,000? Let me see your hands. Let me try it again. I don't think you heard the question. How many of you are willing to tithe for the next six months $10,000 a month? I'm just having fun, okay? We're really not doing this. How many of you are willing to tithe $10,000 a month for the next six months? Let me see your hand. Now, Now think about this for a second. If your tithe is $10,000, what is your income? Are you listening to me? That's why all of us should be willing because if you're tithing $10,000, how much are you making a month? How much? One more time. 100000 So let me ask you again. Maybe, maybe I'll just word it right this. If you had the means... Would you tithe $10,000 a month? Let me see your hands. Everybody should be in on that. Of course you would, right? Well, let me just, here's the point. If you're not faithful over the $5,000 that you make a month or the $2,500 or the $10,000 that you make in a month, would you really be faithful over the $100,000 that you make in a month? See, here's the deal. Generosity, tithe, is not a matter of amount. 
It's a matter of heart. So if you want God to bless the 90% in order for you to make, the, 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 in order for you to make more, or whatever, whatever increase looks like, whether it's financially or not financially, if you want God to bless that, then honor him with that 10%, that small amount. Amen? Is this okay? It's a little bit challenging, I know. But that's why I'm here. This is challenging for me too. So let me ask you this question. We have to ask ourselves, what is the best use of our resources? Because there's lots of areas to give. There's random, random ways to give and be generous. I, I was thinking about this. What is the maximum use of our giving? What is the highest form? Here's a better way to say it. What is the highest form of giving to honor God? Because this is something that we have to talk about because this gets twisted sometimes. I'll give over here, I'll give over here. That's generosity. And there are many opportunities to give, and, and I'm all about giving, but what is the maximum use of our finances? And listen, it's, it's a blessed life to live generous. I, I give towards every, pretty much every cause that's asked. I have to be careful. I buy all the candy bars from the kids. When they're sport, sporting events and they buy T-shirts, I buy the T-shirts. I buy the cookies I just want to be a part. I want, I, don't, I want people to count on me for generosity. I, if I don't have it, I don't have it that day. But I want people to count on me for generosity. I mean, but, but there's a, lots of opportunity. That's being generous. What is the maximum, maximum use? And how can I honor God? What's the maximum use? Let me ask you this, because this is a good question. Is it giving to the poor? Because a lot of people think that the maximum use of giving and the maximum use of, of the church should be about giving to the poor. And we should absolutely give to the poor. The Bible tells us that we are to help the poor. That specifically, we are to help those who can't help themselves. We are to help those, especially the Bible says in James, to help widows and orphans. Now, I believe that some people are asking for help, and there are people that ask for help. The Bible actually says in 2 Thessalonians, Paul instructs the church that any person that refuses to work that can work, we're not, supposed to, we're not supposed to resource and enable people that just don't want to work and are being lazy. But we are supposed to help people that are marginalized. We absolutely are supposed to help the poor. That's considered alms. But what does the Bible say about the maximum use of our, of our giving? A while back, I heard somebody say, I saw somebody take off their coat and hand it to another person. And this, this, this is what Christianity is all about. This is what generosity is all about. This is what giving is all about. I mean, this is what we should all be doing. And I got to thinking about that. Is the maximum use of my resources and the, and the most incredible use of, of my resources is giving somebody a coat? Is that where we've come, that we are so impressed by somebody giving a coat? How many coats you got? Is that a sacrifice? That we, that, we, that we say, man, they gave away their coat. I got six coats at the house, and if I need another one, I'll go get another one. Or I'll go, I, you know, last week, it was raining really hard. We were at Goodwill. I was checking out the rocking chairs. And it came down raining really hard. Baylor was in there. We bought two coats for five bucks. I mean, that's what we do. We think, man, the maximum, you, I mean, when we're really generous, we'll give somebody our coat. And I, we, you, I hope that you would. 
I hope that you would. I hope that you would help somebody. The Bible talks about if somebody asks for your coat, don't, don't just give them your coat. Give them also the cloak. In other words, go a second mile. But in those days, a coat was handmade, extremely expensive, and nobody had one. Or if you did have one, you only had one. If we come to a place where, where we're so impressed and we think that that's, Christ, that's Christianity in its best form, we are missing it. There is so much about generosity. There's so much about giving and honoring God that we don't understand. Are you hearing me? So what did Jesus say about this? Because we don't want to just get into Travis's opinion, right? You guys want to hear my opinion today? Let's read a little bit of the word of God. That's always much better. Mark 14 and 3. How about this? This is one of the most controversial statements Jesus ever said. So meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke open that jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those who were at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages. Look how expensive that is, that perfume was. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? Listen to this. You will always have the poor among you. And you can help them whenever you want, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, whoever, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Wow! Jesus prioritized himself above the poor. Now, that wouldn't work for me. Now, that wouldn't work for me, prioritizing myself. That wouldn't work. But Jesus, what he was doing is he was making a statement. The highest form of our generosity is worship towards the Lord. That's why he could get away with it, because he was God in the flesh. And he was saying, listen, my cause and what's going on, what I'm about to do, the way this is going. And, and there's more to this story than meets the eye. Here's what we draw from this passage. There's four things real quickly. Number one, love gives. Love, true love gives. Mark 14 and 3, as we just read, this was a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke it open. Alabaster was very unique. What happened was this perfume in here was worth a year's wages. Think about that for a second. It was worth a year's wages. It was something probably very precious to her, but an alabaster box was something that was sealed, and the only way that it could be opened, would, it, it had to be broken. Once it was broken, its contents had to be poured out and used completely in a moment. You see, true love gives without reservation. I don't know about this. It, it doesn't hold back. The Bible says in John three sixteen, you probably know this verse, that God so loved the world that he... God so loved the world that he gave. True love gives. And what did he give? He gave his only son. He gave his only, his best, his first, without hesitation, without holding back. Love gives. In honor of a God who would give such a wonderful thing, how can we hesitate to honor God? In other ways in our lives, holding back of giving ourselves, holding back from honoring him with our, with our finances. Number two, number one, love gives. Number two, 
Worship is not wasteful. They said in the fourth verse, why waste such expensive perfume? Think about that. In today's economy, that might be between fifty dollars and $100,000. Just pour it out. It seems like a waste. But listen to me. What some see as wasteful many times, God sees as worship. It was an act of worship. There was something about that that meant something to her. They were looking at it thinking, man, that cost a lot of money. But, but she was probably thinking, you don't know what this perfume means to me. You don't know the cost of this alabaster box. You don't know what it took for me to, man, what Jesus did in my life, how he saved me, how he forgave me, what he did. This is, this is, this is not the, least, the most I can do. This is not the least I can do to me. This is so precious. It was an act of worship. People stood around and said, that's wasteful. Jesus said, that ain't wasteful. That's worship. That's what true worship looks like. Many times people have, have said to me over my life, before I was Pastor Travis, you give too much. You spend too much time at the church. You give too much financially. You know what they don't know? I got a plan to give more. When I can, when my income increases, I'm going to give more. I challenge myself every single year. It's, it's not a deal about giving. To, it's not about sacrifice. God has been very good to me. You think about that verse? You've been so, my favorite part of that last song we sing. You've been so kind to me. You've been so good to me. I got to put my guitar down. I'm like going through that song, and I had to practice it yesterday. And I, 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 when I, that, that part, you have been so good to me. You have been so kind to me. That means so much to me. God has been so good to me. The least that I can do is honor him, what he has already given me. What do you have that God has not given to you? Really? What do we have? What do we hold on to like it's really ours? Really, what do you have that God hasn't already given to you? It's worship, not wasteful. Number three, when it comes to giving to God, when it comes to the tithe, you do what you can with whatever you have. Mark 14 and 8 says, she has done what she could do and has anointed my body for Burial ahead of time. Giving, as I said before, is not about what you don't have. See, that's where we get things twisted. We think it's about what we don't have. No, you're just faithful with what the little that you have. God will never ask you for something that you don't have. He'll never, it's not about honoring. He doesn't, he doesn't care about what you don't have. He doesn't need what you do have. If you take what little you have and just honor him with that, God will make something, make, bring a blessing out of that. It's kind of like the woman who was giving two pennies an offering. She walked into the temple. Jesus was watching what people were giving. And this woman walked in and threw two copper, point, two copper coins in. And he tells his disciples she gave more than all of these people because they gave out of their surplus. But she gave everything that she had it's about honor. It's about giving and making. It's about honoring God with the little. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart behind it. Amen? Whatever you have, you can use it to honor God, and God will bring a usefulness out of it. Now, it was an act of worship. It was an act of kindness. It was an act of honor. But there was also a, there, there was also a practical application that he had to be anointed for his burial. 
There was a practical application. There was also a prophetic application that, that this would state or make a statement that Jesus was to die. You see, the interesting thing about our giving is God takes what little you have or however much that you have, whether it be great or small, and God makes something useful and something practical about what you give. He multiplies it, and he does some incredible things. I can't tell you how many times that people have given to the church. Maybe they gave a, a portion of their taxes or tithe off of something, and it was the exact amount that we needed to, to fix the kids' floor or to buy something that we were think we were praying back down here in the apex. God give us the resources to do that, and God moved on somebody's heart, and they think, well, I'm just going to give because it's a tithe, but it was an answer to our prayer, and it changed lives. That's what your giving does. It's not about the amount. It's about taking what you have, whether it's great or small, and being faithful with that portion. Amen? Lastly, honoring the Lord through our giving, through our tithes, it has an eternal impact. That's the wonderful thing about investing in the kingdom of God. It has an eternal impact. The Bible tells us to lay up treasure in heaven. Don't be so concerned. Yeah, you got to take care of yourself here, but don't be that concerned with it. What we have here is temporal. What we do here has significant impacts in eternity. Listen to this. The ninth verse says, I tell you the truth, whenever, listen to this, whenever the good news is preached throughout the world, it hadn't been preached throughout the world yet. Jesus is prophesying. Whenever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Listen to me. If you want to be remembered for your generosity, the most significant thing that you can do is honor God. And that didn't get one amen. Maybe I need to read it again. If you want to be remembered for generosity, honor the Lord. Her name was Mary. She thought she was just going to do something out of love for the Lord. She really loved the Lord. If you read of her story, God changed your life. Out of an act of generosity and honor and anointing him, she did this. And he said and told everybody in the room that day what she has done here will be remembered and discussed throughout time. Today, 2,000 years later, look who's telling her story. I don't know what you want to be remembered for, but that seems like a small price. I would, I would do that. I would buck up with the $50,000 if they say, hey, Travis, your name's going to be in the Bible and people are going to be preaching and telling your story for the rest of time. I'm in on that deal. That's much better than putting like a plaque up in, in, the, in, the, in the hallway of the church. Travis started this church. So what? Who cares? Who's that? We're going to get a statue of just from here on up. Nobody cares. But this one act of generosity was so significant that Jesus said that she would be remembered. I want to tell you something. If you want to be remembered for generosity, support kingdom work. Amen. It is the most significant thing that you can do. I want to close with this. Our society has many opportunities to be generous. And I'm not telling you not to be generous. I'm in on that. Anytime there's a mission, anytime, I don't care which church it is. There's, I mean, they sell hams or they sell turkeys, smoked. I go buy one. 
Anybody doing anything for kingdom work, I'm in on it. Yesterday we were having a, a mission car wash for the kids that are going on a mission trip. I showed up with my truck and trailer. Let me tell you something. That was the best two bucks I ever spent. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. It was the best three bucks I ever spent. I'm, I'm teasing. It's not funny. It's enough of that. I want you to be generous. I want you to be known for your generosity. I want you to help people. I want you to be that person that would take off their coat and give it to them. I want you to be that person that can be counted on for generosity. That's what I want for your life. It is the most enriched life that you can live. But don't miss the point. The most significant thing that you can do to honor God is tithe. And I could bring person after person up here on stage and let them express to you how God has blessed their life through just the act of consistently honoring God with the tithe. And this, this is not the easiest message to preach, and you probably can figure out why. But I think it's vital as we talk about honor to talk about how we honor God with our money. If you get this right, it affects every other area of your life. If you believe that, say amen. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today, and thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Lord, may we come to a place where we honor you with the tithe. It's not a matter of money. It's not a matter of amount. It's a matter of heart. Lord, that it's a matter of honor that you've given us the right and the privilege and the opportunity to have a covenant with you that affects every other area of our lives, that we can live in blessing, that we can live in rich lives. I pray, Father. Lord, that you would challenge us in these areas, and, and Lord, if, if this is something that we're not committed to, that you bring about change, that we commit to this. I believe blessing and prosperity is your plan for every Christian. And you've created a ways and means to send resources into our lives. May we understand this. May we grow in this. In the name of Jesus, if you believe that, say amen. As your heads are bowed, I want to pray one more prayer. Maybe you say, Travis, I don't know Jesus. He's not Lord and Savior of my life. I used to live for God, but I, I walked away from him. Or maybe you can say, Travis, I've never asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life. And today I need to make that commitment. We've talked about resources today, but this is the first step. God wants your heart. And maybe you're sitting there today and you're thinking, I need to, I need to surrender my life to Christ. Maybe you've been coming here for a while and you've been holding back, but you feel God is drawing you today. Or maybe you've never said this, Jesus be Lord and Savior of my life. Today I want to give you an opportunity. I, as we do this every weekend, I won't single you out. I won't embarrass you. I won't ask you to walk the aisles or stand or anything. I just want to say a prayer. And you can be entered into that prayer. I, I'd like to know if I'm praying for people. So with nobody looking around, just between you, me, and God, if you can say, Travis, if you'll pray that prayer, pray it with me. I'm going to pray it with you. 
You slip your hand up and slip it down quickly so I know I'm praying for somebody. I see your hand over here on the left. Anybody else? You can put it down. I see your hand in the back. You can put it down. Anybody else? One more time. I don't want to miss anybody. Anybody on my right over here? All right, we're going to pray. And if you lifted your hand, just repeat this prayer after me. Surrender your life to Christ. Let's all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm before you today. I give you my life. Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I confess that you are my Lord and I believe in you, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate.